Alright guys, you are locked on Falcons. I am your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am finishing up the Q&A of the All-22 review of the Falcons' Week 4 loss to the Buffalo Bills. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Alright guys, this episode of the Locked On Falcons podcast is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Use the promo code LOCKEDON at MyBookie.ag for up to a 100% deposit bonus. As usual, we are giving away a free Pro Football Focus Edge account. Stay tuned to the end of this episode in order to heal the details on how you can win that. I, I do want to say up front, guys, that I am suffering from the beginning stages of a cold, so... Uh, I think probably in all likelihood you won't really notice a difference, maybe. Um, but if I happen to make more noises with my mouth <laughs> than usual, uh, I hope uh, it doesn't bother you too much. So I just want to give you a heads up about that. All right. So as for those of you that are just tuning in today and, and didn't listen to yesterday's Q&A, we did a all 22 Q&A, people submitted questions, film questions and whatnot, uh, general questions as well. And uh, I answered them on yesterday's show, but it, it was getting up there to an hour mark. And I was like, I don't want to make this an hour and a half episode. So, um, yeah, I decided to split it into two parts because of the bye week. And we don't really have like a, a game to preview normally on this Thursday like we normally do most weeks. Uh, the plan is to still have a fan Friday tomorrow's episode but uh that might be pushed back a little bit if if due to scheduling conflicts but um we will definitely have a fan talk at at some point this weekend before we get to next week's games and and whatnot so um yeah i just wanted to give you guys a heads up you're like you know you're listening to the show and you're like what's going on all right um oh and by the way i should mention like the re the the way that people submitted these questions it was on facebook primarily uh facebook page is Locked on Falcons. You can also send it to Twitter at Locked on Falcons. That's the show's Twitter handle. My Twitter handle is Falcons. Just let me know it's podcast related. You also can send an email at LockedOnFalcons at mail.com and uh, yeah, audioboom.com and um, Falcons.com where the show is posted daily. You can leave a comment there. That's also another way of getting in touch with the show. So this is basically going to be in a Riley Street episode because Riley sent in a bunch of questions, a lot of good questions. Uh, I joked on yesterday's show that he peppered me with seven thousand questions. So there's a bunch of Riley Street questions. So if you if you if you're tired of the Riley Street show, I, I guess I, I gotta get Riley on the show some at some point as a for a fan talk or something. But uh, yeah, he sends in a lot of questions, and uh, we'll just answer them today. So it's the Riley Street show. Just basically, just imagine this is a fan talk and Riley's actually asking me these questions. All right, so his first question is, why on a nice night would we not have the roof open? Isn't that the point of having a roof that can open? Does it have to do, does it have to do with some kind of perceived competitive advantage we were trying to get while playing an outdoor team? Um, I don't know. The, the The Falcons opened the roof for the Week 2 game. They did not open the roof for the Bills game. My, I, This is a purely speculation on my part. My guess is there's like some sort of logistical or financial reason why they don't open the roof. And they did it for the Week 2 game because it was, you know, eyes were going to be on the city because they were hosting a primetime game. 
And for the most part this season, because it maybe requires them hiring or, or, you know, bringing in some group of people to do it or whatever, that they won't do it. That's my guess. I have, I literally have no idea. This is just literally me pulling something from my butt to try to explain it. But, uh, that's the only thing that really makes sense to me, but uh, I, I don't know. I really don't. So, so I don't have an answer, Riley. Uh, Riley's next question is, I read somewhere that this loss proves that our wide receiver depth isn't what we thought it was. Do you agree? I feel like we shouldn't expect TG to be able to fill in for Julio. They're both good, but TG isn't a number one. Otherwise, Cleveland would have kept them. Julio also has a significant height and size advantage, so the play type that would be called for him would be very different than what we would call for TG. I feel like this game proves nothing as far as our depth. It may prove that our number three or four can't become the number one option when we lose both of our top two options against size difference between our number one and two options versus our number three and four, but I don't know of anyone's three or four who has a decent set of receivers at one and two that can adequately replace the top two options. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think you, you raise a lot of interesting points, Riley. What I will say is, to answer your main thrust of your question, I, I do think it does sort of signal to people that all the people that were sort of upset this summer when a certain person, I can't remember who it was, you know, basically said the Falcons have one good receiver and and called Taylor Gabriel gadget guy and whatnot. And I remember the sort of, I thought was a little bit of an overreaction that Falcons Twitter had to that person's assessment. I didn't agree with their assessment. Don't get me wrong, but I got where they were coming from. I understood what they were trying to say, but they, they were probably, um, you know, dialing down a little bit too hard on the whole one good receiver aspect of it. But uh, I do think it does sort of take that notion that the Falcons have the best, like what basically I remember those arguments being basically people were saying like the Falcons have the best group of receivers in the NFL. And it's like, I don't think they do not want, you know, not pound for pound their top four or five guys. I think they're probably in the top 10 certainly, but I wouldn't necessarily be like, you know, I think our number one receiver sort of skews the conversation in that aspect. But if you're looking at the Falcons two through four guys or two through five guys, I don't think you would look at the Falcons two through five and, and be especially jealous of them over, you know, probably at least a third of the league in the, in the NFL or whatever. It, it's it's Julio Jones that sort of pushes the Falcons wide receiver core to that next level, I think. And, and, and so that's one of the reasons why I wasn't so as like, saying the Falcons have one good receiver is crazy talk. It, you know, there's a kernel of truth to that. Um, what I will say about the Falcons wide receiver depth is I do think Hardy can adequately replace Sanu, at least the the part of Sanu that plays in the slot. Um, I think the the issue that the Falcons ran into on Sunday um, and, and could run into in future games is one of the knocks on Nick Williams is that he is only a slot receiver. Like he cannot play outside. Um, you know, and, and so when you have that and and you're forced to go to a Gabriel Williams Hardy lineup, you have to play with Nick Williams on the slot. And I think the Falcons, if I saw the data on pro football focus correctly, had Nick Williams in the slot for 96% of his snaps against Buffalo, um, which, you know, Muhammad Sanu only plays about like 60% of his snaps in the slot. 
at least so far this year. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, in like last year, I think it was like 45 or or 50 percent. Um, you you sort of marginalize Justin Hardy in that way. I think um, I think Hardy is is okay as an outside receiver, but I don't think he's good as an outside receiver. I think he's primarily a slot guy. And I think, um, you know, I think that sort of the Falcons couldn't really use those guys to their full advantage um, on Sunday because they were, I, you know, again, I don't want to knock Nick Williams too hard or, or sound like he's like, he's holding the team back, but I, I do think he sort of limits what they can do um in terms of mixing and matching the receivers because he can only play in a slot. Like Hardy can play outside. You know, Gabriel obviously can play outside, inside, and Julio and, and Sanu and all those guys can play inside or outside. I think Marvin Hall has the potential to be that guy, and that's one of the reasons why I thought um, keeping him over Nick Williams as the number six receiver would have been the move I would have done just because I think Hall has a lot more developmental upside. Um, I think Nick Williams is, is certainly ahead of Hall in terms of like his rapport with Matt Ryan and whatnot. But, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, there's, a, there's a lot more I want to say on this, but I, 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 people always come to me for betting advice and they always ask me, you know, are the Falcons going to win? Who's going to cover this week? All those types of things. And I got to say this, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. That's why I always tell people to go to mybookie.ag. You can use the promo code Locked On to get up to a hundred percent deposit bonus. There are plenty of online sports books out there, but I think mybookie.ag is the only one that gets my stamp of approval. Mybookie.ag is by far the best sports book I've ever used. Uh, mybookie.ag has been in business for years, and their rep is rock solid. They do a hundred percent cash bonuses, so off the bat, you're making money for doing absolutely nothing. They have the fastest payout. Seriously, guys, just two business days. You can have your own glitzy Las Vegas casino experience right from the sanctity of your smartphone. Go to mybookie.ag, place your bets, tell them I sent you by using the promo code Locked On. That's Locked On, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You play, you win, you get paid. I think the issue with Julio is, you know, the the way I've always sort of explained it is uh, Julio is the sun. And what I mean by that in that analogy is that he he contains all the gravity in the solar system and all the planets sort of revolve around him. And I don't think that's just talking about how our receivers and our offense interacts with him, but also how teams defend him. And I think when he's not on the field, that gravity goes away. And, And, you know, to continue the analogy, you know, each individual planet has to sort of support life on its own or whatever. Um... And, and this is one of the reasons why I wasn't a big fan of the Sanu signing and while I wanted a guy like Travis Benjamin because I feel like with Benjamin's deep vertical speed, I think having that skill set means that you can sort of stand on your own even if it's not, you know, even if you're not going to be a true blue number one receiver. I think Gabriel has a little bit of that because of his vertical capability. I think he's sort of held back a little bit because of the lack of height. Um, and it, I think it's harder for a a five eight receiver with four three speed to be as effective as a, like a five eleven or a six foot receiver with four three speed. But um, you know, I, I still think he can sort of do some things. But he's not necessarily going to make teams adjust their coverages in the same way that Julio does. And again, I don't want to make this into a Sanu bashing thing, but uh, he's going to make it difficult 
for you to build your offense around them because it's going to be a lot more intermediate and short passes where he can use his size to sort of post up guys. And I think that's one of the reasons why he wasn't particularly effective in the first half of the game on Sunday because a guy like Trey White um, isn't a guy you can just sort of out physical. And like, you know, the example I always sort of use to illustrate this point with Sanu, I don't know if I've mentioned it previously on the show, but if I haven't, then here it goes again. Um, you know, you go back to last year, and I think you look at the two games against Seattle, and I think probably your average fan would probably say the reason why Sanu had the big playoff game because he was more integrated in the offense. He was more comfortable with Matt Ryan and all these sort of intangible things. And I, I, I don't think that's true at all. I think the reason is he had a better matchup. Um, you go back to that first game against Seattle, and he's going up against a guy like Deshaun Shedd. Um, you know, Shed is just as big, as long, as physical as Sanu is. And so I think in that game, like Shed, they targeted, Shed was covering Sanu three times. They targeted Sanu three times. He had zero catches and Shed broke up all three passes. Then you fast forward to the postseason and now Sanu is facing, uh, getting a lot more matchups against Jeremy Lane. While Jeremy Lane is not a small corner, he's not necessarily a sort of physical corner. And I think Sanu was able to win a lot more against him. Uh, doing that and so I think ultimately you know wide receivers are are really about matchups and I think you know Buffalo's corners were a particularly bad matchup for all of our receivers not named Julio Jones um you know they they were really I thought Taylor Gabriel would be a lot more effective but they were really effective at sort of jamming him at the line of scrimmage and uh sort of minimizing him and so I think you know long story short I think there are certain things that you could do with Julio, obviously, and, and things that you could do with Sanu that you can't quite do when they're not out there. You know, I, I think the another analogy I'll use is it's like having a basketball team when all three of our top receivers are healthy. You know, Gabriel is that Isaiah Thomas like small, fast, slashing point guard. Um, he can take guys off the dribble. Sanu is more of a power forward, but he's got he's a power forward with a nice jumper. So he can sort of like post up guys a little bit and you can run pick and roll with him. I can't think of a an exact um, player that I can, an analog currently in the NBA because my, my NBA references are really old. It's like the only player I can think of is like Rayshard Lewis. So but I apologize for my, my basketball references being a little bit dated. Uh, <laughs> Julio is obviously LeBron. You know, he could do everything. And I think when you have those three guys, you know, on the quote unquote court, together, then you can sort of do a lot of things and you can run different styles. But when you get to the backups, you know, Hardy is more like a three-point shooter similar to Sanu, but he's not really posting guys up. And he'll occasionally take a guy off the dribble. He'll occasionally hit a jumper. But he's more of like a pick, you know, he's he's coming off of picks and whatnot, and he'll hit the open three as opposed to he's going to create his own shot. Um, again, I, I'm sure some people can think of a, a good example of, you know, uh, Kyle Korver. I don't know. I don't think I don't think Hardy's got the the jump shot that Kyle Korver has, so that's probably a bad analogy. Um, and I think Marvin Hall is, is a little bit more that Taylor Gabriel type, and I think Nick Williams is, um, you know, that that sneaky, athletic, cerebral, fundamentally sound, hardworking, overachiever, overachiever with a high football IQ, and uh, I think he tends to take advantage of of the opportunities that other guys sort of create for him. You know, I, I'm joking with the sort of the adjectives. But um, I, I think most of his catches, if you put together a highlight reel of his catches over the last three years, two or two and a, two and a quarter years, 
most of them are going to be times when he finds a soft spot in his own um, rather than necessarily going out and beating tight man coverage. So, like, sneaky, you know, while it's sort of like a reverse racist term for a white receiver, like, he is kind of sneaky. He's just kind of sneaking into those zones, and I think um, that that can be effective when you have other weapons on the field that are taking attention, but I think it becomes a lot harder when you do lose those number one and number two receivers. So, um, you know, I think part of the thing that held the Falcons back is sort of maybe Sark's lack of experience or just not having enough familiarity with sort of his reserve receivers and their strengths and weaknesses to really sort of make the adjustments on the fly like he needed to in that Bills game. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. But, you know, it doesn't sound like Julio's going to miss, you know, more time. You know, obviously Julio is always hurt, as we always say on this podcast. But, uh, you know, eventually the injury bug will rear its ugly head regarding Julio again this season, but hopefully it's not going to be anything major. So convoluted answer to a pretty simple question of, you know, is our wide receiver depth good? (laughs) Um, Riley's next question. I've been noticing on the views where you can see the stadium saying seating that a high number of seats seem to be empty. I believe you said after the Packers game that people were just exploring the concourse, et cetera, and enjoying the amenities of the new stadium. It seems to me like, it would be very challenging to have a stadium really rocking with half of the attendees not in their seats. Are the amenities in the new stadium too cool? I'm sure this will continue while there are large numbers of people each week making their first appearance in the stadium, but you, do you think this will be an ongoing problem into the end of the year and into future seasons? Um, I, you know, I think it legitimately could be an issue throughout this year. Um, as far as future seasons, you know, I'm sure, like, by the time we get to 2021, I don't think it'll be a big deal. But, you know, maybe maybe for, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'm BSing a little bit. Um, yeah, I do think it's, it's, it's possible that the stadium is too cool. Um, I know when I, growing up, I used to go to Redskins games. Uh, my, dad, my dad and my grandpa, uh, who's a big Redskins fan, my dad is a big Steelers fan, but... Um, Oh, yeah, for those of you guys don't know, I grew up in Virginia. Uh, um, but, yeah, like, they, they shared season tickets to Redskins game from, like, 1997 to 2005. And so I would get to go to Redskins home games, you know, to, like, three or four a year for the most part when I was at least in high school and occasionally uh, when I was home after, uh, for college um, during, like, the holidays and whatnot. And I just remember, like, my dad was one of those people – that because he didn't really care about the Redskins and he was just like not that into it. Um, not that he's not into football, but like, you know, they had like a club section in the Redskins stadium in FedEx field. And it was like TVs and couches and whatnot. And it was out of the elements and whatnot. And so like what he would often do is he would, he would stay out in the game for like the first half, sometimes the first quarter, basically like whenever he took his first bathroom break and then he would go in, go to the bathroom, and he wouldn't come back out. And, you know, so for me, it's like, you know, when I know some people would look at the empty seats and be like, oh, those guys are, those people aren't real fans, and they need to be X, Y, Z. But, like, my firsthand experience of, of so, sort of seeing my dad, like, I'm not judging those people. I'm not going to, you know, like, those people pay for their tickets. They can experience the game however they want to experience the game. If they want to, 
you know, be hanging out by the, the fountain machines or sampling four different cheeseburgers or whatever, rather than sitting in their seat and yelling on, on, on when the Falcons are on defense, you know, to, to up the noise. And that's, that's their right to do. They pay for those tickets. You, you can't sit here and, and tell them how to, uh, you know, fan. I know, you know, you know, I know other people might feel differently about that, but I, I always try never to tell people how, you know, they should support their team. Cause I certainly don't want people telling me how I would, how I should support my team. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I guess that's what I'm getting to, Riley. I don't, I don't really, I, I guess I'm not really doing a good job providing you answers to some of your questions. That's, you know, that's a testament to how good your questions are. So I, I do think, you know, that may be an element of it, the stadium being too cool. And I think, you know, I could say more about this, but I, I think I'll be getting into the territory of talking about, like, the whole notion of Falcon fans and sort of the reputation that they've built. And, like, I, I just don't want to go there. So, um, you know, not to it's not meant to disparage Falcon fans or anything like that, but it does sort of play into the stereotype a little bit that, uh, you know, Atlanta's not a great sports city. And I don't think that's a fair and accurate description of Atlanta fans or, or anything like that. Um, but you know, it does seem like it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to like dissuade people of that sort of myth or whatever you want to call it when you, as you say, when you're seeing like, you know, a third of the seats empty or whatever. Um, you know, I don't think that's a fault of, of fans or should be used to, to judge people and, and say that, oh, they're not real fans or whatever, anything, but it, it doesn't help. But I think at the same time, part of the reason why they make the stadium too cool is to get butts in the seats. And I think we talked about this when we, I think we had DW on talking about the stadium. And it's about having, you know, there's no real reason for people to fork up the type of money that they need to fork up, particularly given the Falcons PSLs, um, to go to a live football game when you can go to any sports bar. You can, if you have a, a HD 4K TV or whatever, and you can watch it from your home. And it's not the same, but it is one of those things where it is pretty good. You know, <laughs> you don't have to fight traffic. You don't have to fight drunks. You know, it, it's it, it makes a lot of sense to stay at home and, and you save a lot more money that way. Um, so, like, I think you have to have some of those amenities. We talked about the pricing of the, the food and whatnot. And I think, you know, having it being too cool, you've got to get people out of the house to come down to the stadium. And I think that may be something that the Falcons are going to have to deal with. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to, you know, if the Falcons start hosting playoff games, I don't think it's going to be an issue then. But, you know, it, it may be something that we, we'll have to handle through the regular season when maybe people aren't as invested in what's going on on the field um, as as they, they could be. So, I don't know. Okay, Riley's next question is also, we're breaking in a new new coordinator. There have been some fluke drop tip passes and injuries, but should we be worried about all these turnovers? People seem to be struggling to hang on to the ball. Whether they are fumbling or not catching the ball on passes, most of these seem just seem like just mental lapses to me. People are turning upfield before they fully catch the ball, and thus these, I would think, are correctable. Do you agree? Is it 
And is it too much to read since we have largely the same personnel as last year and we didn't have this issue last year that can be corrected in a week or two's time and be cleaned up between now and when the Dolphins roll into town? Or is this an issue that's going to take several weeks to correct? What are your expectations? Ooh, expectation questions. Uh, another question where I don't really know the answer to this one. Um, we'll see. I, I think one of the interesting things... Um, we saw in 2015, like turnovers sort of defined that team and that offense. And then we had a lack of turnovers last year. And we were actually tied for the Patriots with the least amount of turnovers in 2016. And so time will tell, but it, it is worth considering the possibility. Not saying this is the truth, but, you know, last year's lack of turnovers were, you know, that sort of dreaded outlier that we were talking about last year. And so maybe... The, you know, the pendulum or the rubber band snaps back and the Falcons go back to turning the ball over a little bit more. I know for me, when I was doing my ultimate predictions, statistical projections over at Falcons.com this year, um, I did factor in that the Falcons would, would turn the ball over a lot more. But I think one of the things that made me optimistic about the season was that I think you can sort of survive the high amount of turnovers if you're explosive, and I think that's, you know, a little bit of the difference between maybe why the Falcons were able to beat the Lions, being minus three in the turnover margin, and losing to the Bills, uh, because they were a little bit more explosive in that Lions game. Um, but I think part of that is, you know, not necessarily because of, you know, that talks a little bit about Sark's play calling and game planning, but I think part of that is owed to the Bills' defense, Um but I also think that's why we tend to hold Sark's feet to the fire a little bit more than we we should because I think we are now enlightened enough, you know, and I've been preaching this for, for many, many years, um, but we are now all sort of enlightened enough that explosiveness matters. And so when you're building these game plans that seem to be dialing back or limiting the amount of explosiveness the offense can have, People are going to be upset because it's going to be like, this, we know this doesn't work. We've seen it. You know, I talked about this after the week one game. Like, we're not going back to that team where we're just like struggling to generate big plays. And, and so Sark's got to figure it out. He's getting paid a lot of money to figure it out. And it wouldn't be fair to basically expect him to come in and have all the answers in his first year in a job. But you want to at least see steps being taken. So, like when we saw in weeks two and three, all the play action, and you know, you're obviously, generally speaking, you're you're getting more explosive plays off of play action than you typically are off of just your you know your normal sort of quote unquote passing offense. And so you're like, oh, he gets it. And then to see them sort of dial back against Buffalo, it's a little like, okay, maybe he doesn't get it. You know, and it's hard to sort of explain why that was. You know, I guess the the best, the only way I could think of it is maybe that the Falcons were like, let's try to get the Bills in their base defense as much as possible because we feel like with our wide receivers, we can sort of exploit them there. They they were wrong. Um, and, and I don't think that's just because the Falcons receivers got hurt. I, you know, they, Sanu and Gabriel weren't doing anything when Julio was on the field either. So, you know, it's one of those things where, I don't know. But, um, yeah, so, I guess. Did I answer your question? Um, what was your question? Are these issues correctable? Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, 
they got to make better decisions with the ball. The guys got to catch the ball a little bit better. Um, but it does seem like, you know, it looks a little bit, a little bit too much like 2015. And why that is, you know, we can speculate, you know, first year offensive coordinator, even though the system is the same, you know, maybe guys aren't on the same page quite to the degree. Maybe they're just, you know, last year again was an outlier year and we, we weren't necessarily factoring in that, um, to the degree that we should have, that, you know, they, they had 19 games where they got pretty lucky with turnovers and, uh, you know, maybe they won't have that sort of streak again this year. Who knows? All right. Riley's next question is, how did KZ look? You expressed that you felt that he would be a little exposed and we would learn to appreciate Ricardo Allen as we should. I didn't see anything that made him look overly poor, but I also am not sure if some of the situations where receivers got open deeper were places where he should have been covering over the top, etc. Uh, I think there was a little, a couple of times where he looked a little bit lost or a little bit slow to react. I think the Jordan Matthews touchdown, he, he, you know, I think he could have been in position to pick that off if he knew what he was doing. Um, and there was a couple of downfield throws where I thought he was a little bit late to react to them. Not, not necessarily to say that he would have been in position to to pick them off or break them up, but you could see sort of, like you could see the wheels sort of grinding at times. And, and this was something I referred to with last year's rookies, and that's expected with rookies. Like they don't know anything. Transitioning to in, the NFL, playing professional football is hard, and I think too often, you know. This goes back to sort of rookie expectations and post-draft expectations. I think way too many people think that playing in the NFL is easy. And just like, oh, you can go from college and jump to the NFL and, and be and be good right away. And it's like, no, you can't. Most rookies are terrible. Most rookies are terrible, guys. Like, the only reason they play them because the teams don't really have other choices, right? Um, and they know in the long run it benefits them to develop these guys sooner rather than later, Not not just basically plugging in, you know, 30-year-old veterans every every single season. I, I think Casey's, you know, he's going to be a work in progress. I think he did some good things. I, I thought it was interesting that the Falcons, you know, at certain points in the game sort of, you know, they showed some interchangeability with Allen and Neal uh, already this season, but it did seem like a little bit more as the game wore on, there was a few more instances um, where Casey was playing in the box and playing man coverage and covering guys like LaShawn McCoy out of the backfield while Neil was playing center field or something like that. Um, so I, I did notice that a couple of times. And so I don't think it was necessarily like they were trying to hide him, but it was like, you know, they were trying to put him in a situation where maybe they recognized that maybe having Neil back there on playing that center field spot a, a few more times later in the game was probably a little bit better to, to prevent those deep passes. But at the same time, I think one of the other things I noticed with the game was towards the end of the game, you know, uh, they were often using Neil to spy Tyrod Taylor, and he, at least based off of the small sample size, he seemed to do a better, much better job of that than Deion Jones did. And so then they had to put Casey back there and play in that deep center field as well. So, um, yeah. Riley's question. How would you grade Marco Emanuel at the one quarter point of the season? How much of his performance do you give him credit versus Dan Quinn? I'd probably give him a B. Um, 
I don't know exactly how I should grade him. I don't know if I should give him credit for things like the improved pass rush or knock him for things like the poor tackling. That just seems like a player issue, not necessarily a coaching issue. Um, you know, so I guess I'll just give him credit for sort of the adjustments and, and sort of the schematic issues. You know, it seems like I would imagine, you know, that Dan Quinn gives him quite a bit of latitude for making the calls. I mean, I, I assume that he gave Richard Smith that same latitude and then until he didn't when he took over play calling after that Chiefs game. And um, so I just assumed that he, he, it sounded like everything he said sounded like, you know, it was going to be manual's defense. You know, we know it's not really manual's defense, Dan Quinn's defense, but it's being managed by Marquand Manuel. So the things I've noticed, they mix in a lot more cover two, or a little bit more cover two, not a lot more. It seems like they're, they're throwing in a healthy amount of cover two, maybe two or three times a game. We're seeing a little bit more blitzing than we saw last year. A lot more five-man pressures, it seems like. Or, not, again, not a lot more, but a couple more times a game. Uh, they're using their safeties interchangeably a little bit more. Again, not not necessarily like a night and day difference, but like subtle changes to the defense. And so I, I think those things have worked to a certain degree, so I can't complain too much about it. And I like sort of, you know, the adjustments are being made and, and so, yeah, I'll give Manuel B so far. I don't know how else, what other grade I can give him. Um, you know, I don't know what an A what an A would look like. I don't know what a C would look like, so I'll just go with the B. Um, Riley's last question is, do you feel like our lack of force turnovers are just the luck of the bounce, or do you feel like it has to do with our aggressiveness or our pass rush? Uh, you know, similar to what you asked with the offensive turnovers, um, I would say uh, turnovers tend to be a lot of luck, random, flukiness, or whatever word you want to ascribe to it. Um, I think there is a turnover, there is a correlation between creating pressure and sort of forcing turnovers on the back end when we talk about interceptions. I don't know if there's a statistical correlation between, you know, playing fast and physical and, and laying guys out and how many forced fumbles you create. Uh, um, you know, I've seen stats to back up at least the, the pressure interception correlation, not necessarily the other one. It's hard to sort of quantify, like, you know, how do you quantify that? So um, I think, you know, we saw our turnovers go up last year when we sort of shifted, when Quinn took over the defense and we shifted more to that man-heavy scheme. But at the same time, I do think there is sort of like, you know, to answer your question, I think it is a luck of the bounce a little bit, or quite a bit of it is. Um, it'll be interesting to see, at least with the interceptions, because you look at the rest of the schedule, and outside Cam Newton and Jameis and Josh McCown, there aren't really any quarterbacks that we've faced this year that at least so far through the first four games of the season are turning over the, the ball at a, a particularly high rate. Um, like McCown's about you know, slightly below average in Cam and Jameis are near the bottom of the league. So is, so is Mike Glenn and so is, is Matt Ryan, to be honest. But um, so it, it does make me wonder, like, with certain quarterbacks that we'll face that are really good at protecting the ball. Tyrod's really good at protecting the ball. Aaron Rodgers is really good at protecting the ball. He did throw that pick. But that was on a miscommunication, not necessarily due to, you know, quarterback error or anything like that. So, you know, I think there's a chance, and again, not this is not a prediction, but just there's statistical evidence to support the idea that maybe we won't see a ton of ter- of interceptions this year based off of the the quality of the competition. Even Jay Cutler, 
um, as turnover prone as he is, um, you know, has done a really good job relative to most of his career, not forcing, you know, turnovers and whatnot. Um, I think, you know, with the forced fumbles, that's, that to me is really where it gets random, really random, you know, interceptions, there is a certain element of being in the right place at the right time to get a pick, but, um, you know, forced fumbles and fumble recoveries really is truly being in the right place at the right time. Like, you know, you can be good in forced fumbles, like Keanu Neal forced five fumbles last year, but none of them were recovered by the Falcons. You know, you look at the, the yesterday or Sunday's game, and there was a bunch of fumbles in that game, but, you know, other than the quote-unquote sack strip, you know, and I'm using air quotes because we all sort of agree that that wasn't really a fumble. It should have been an incomplete pass. But other than that, none of the fumbles got recovered. You know, you, Tolbert fumbled, and that was recovered by the Bill Tevin fumble. That was recovered by Jake Matthews. We muffed a, a pooch kick. That was recovered by the Falcons. Um, which, by the way, I, I do want to mention that I, I do think that was a great job by the Bills uh, trying to steal another possession from the Falcons coming off the heels of that sack, quote-unquote, sack strip. Uh, of Matt Ryan and that touchdown, um, you know, I, you know, I think that's a testament. That's another indicator that the Bills came to play, as opposed to maybe the Falcons didn't come to play. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't like to say the words "outcoached" as much as other people like to say it, because I think that word sort of loses its value with how frequently people throw it around, um, not really knowing what they're talking about. But uh, it did seem like the Bills certainly had the coaching advantage on Sunday uh, versus the Falcons. So, um, yeah, I, I will say that. So, I mean, look, I don't know the answer to this, Riley. It's one of those things, like, I, I don't have an expert opinion on this. It's like, we could, over the next month of the season, over the next four games, we could have eight turnovers or, or more, or we could have none at all. And no one has an idea. It's just sort of a random roll of the dice, really, when it comes down to turnovers. So we'll see what happens, but uh, I I feel like they'll come more frequently than they have. We only got two turnovers so far this year, um, so I feel like they will come more frequently than they have the first four games. But I can't necessarily tell you how or why or or when they'll come. It, it, they'll just you know odds are that we'll have more than two turnovers this entire season. So yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, guys, I appreciate you uh, hanging out with me. For another Q&A, I hope my cold did not truly affect uh, the the quality of this podcast. I know my brain was a little bit discombobulated. I'm a little lightheaded from the medicine, uh, so I couldn't read. But uh, again, I appreciate all you guys staying tuned. As I want to say, this episode of the Locked on Falcons podcast was brought to you by MyBookie.ag. Head over to MyBookie.ag. Uh, and use the code locked on to get your 100% deposit bonus. All right, guys, Pro Football Focus Edge, how do you get in on this action? Well, you got to go to Locked On Falcons iTunes, give us a rating review, leave your Twitter handle in the uh, rating or review, five stars. Don't forget the five stars. And uh, randomly at the end of each week, a winner will be chosen from those people. And, uh, yeah, you'll get a, a Pro Football Focus Edge account. It's a $40 value. You get player grades, snap counts, fantasy projections, draft coverage, all that type of stuff. All the great insight that Pro Football Focus provides. 
with the uh, player grades and the stats and the, all, all the advanced stats and whatnot. So uh, definitely worthwhile value for you guys, especially when you're getting it for free. Um, you know, I like my pro football focus on the price of on the house. Um, Jeff Ratcliffe, director of fantasy for pro football focus will also be on locked on fantasy with Vinny Iyer every Thursday. You can also check out the friend of this podcast, Mike Renner on locked on NFL with Matt Williamson every Wednesday. All right, guys, that's it. Um, as I said, at the top of the show, um, where can you get in contact? Where, if you want to sort of break up the, 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 I don't can't even think of the word the, again, the, the drugs, um, the, the medicine, I should say not the drugs <laughs> the, that could be taken out of context. Um, if you want to break up the streak, I guess that's the word of Riley asking 7,000 questions on the next Q and a, um, which you will be usually next Wednesday, but you can at, Send in questions at any time, and I will answer them as you send them in. How do you do that? Locked on Falcons is the Twitter handle. Falcons is my Twitter handle. Just let me know it's podcast related, and I will answer it. If uh, you don't like character limits, then you can use Locked on Falcons, the Facebook page. Give us a like while you're there. Locked on Falcons at mail.com is the email address. Audioboom.com, Falcons.com. The show is posted daily. You can leave a comment there as well. Um, yeah, that's it, guys. Um, we'll be back hopefully tomorrow if not then Saturday or Sunday with a fan talk or something like that I know people sent in not that long ago saying that they don't listen to the show on weekends was that Riley or somebody else I can't remember who it was um, which uh, you know if that happens I apologize that you won't listen to it till Monday but uh, you know you will make time for me on Sunday afternoon. Instead of watching football, you will listen to the Lockdown Falcons podcast. So we will do another episode, at least one more episode this week. I don't know what the show is going to be on Monday. We're going to do something. We'll do something. Maybe I'll just say, oh, I watched football this weekend. Here's my thoughts. You know, I know Riley asked a question about doing a state of the NFC South, state of the NFC thing. Maybe I'll do that on Monday. I have no idea. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely have one more show this week. A fan fan talk, and then we'll do something on Monday. If you guys have thoughts and commentaries and suggestions on what we could do, I'm all open to that suggestion. So send it to all those links I just gave, Locked on Falcons, whatever. Just Google Locked on Falcons. You'll find some way to contact me. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all ears for that. So we'll be back tomorrow or sometime this weekend, and then again on Monday, and then we'll get back to our usual schedule of, uh, other stuff next week to to prepare for that Dolphins game. So stay locked on guys. Rise up in brotherhood. All All those hashtags. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye singing dog. Bye goal. I pronounce you by wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.